In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome back into the camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. We're into the offseason now, and actually uh, a little bit of a, a slow Newsweek, Jesse, would you say, uh, last week, considering what had happened the previous couple of weeks? There is news, and we'll get to it in a bit, but it was a little bit slower. Are you concerned about the momentum uh, dying down here for Luke Fickle at all? Um, is that a concern in your mind? Not concerned at all. I didn't okay. figure they'd have three transfer portal commitments every day since the portal window is now closed, and uh, I didn't think that they would be getting 2024 commitments every single day either. But been a big weekend on the junior day front, and there's another one coming up. So not concerned at all about the momentum of the Luke Fickle train slowing down. All right. Well, that's good. Now, so you're not concerned, which makes me not concerned. No. Um, it uh, it was bound to be a, a little bit slower than what uh, had, had had happened before. But Wisconsin did. Uh, there was some news last week, and we'll get to the junior day stuff uh, a little bit later. A lot of really important players on campus this weekend and saw some video of some of the different things that they were doing, including welcoming uh, quarterback uh, Mabry Nethauer with a, a jump around and a red carpet. So a little bit different energy, a little bit different uh, feel around, uh, I think, junior day than maybe uh, people are used to with the uh, the previous staff. We'll get to that in a bit. But there was some news last week. The uh, staff for Luke Fickle, at least the assistant coach staff, uh, the tennis uh, on-field assistant coaching staff, is complete. Uh, that's after they uh, hire Devon Spalding from Youngstown State, where he's been the running backs coach the last three years. He actually worked with Luke Fickle in 2019 as a uh, graduate assistant. Um, they went a little bit different direction, Jesse, than uh, they did the last time. Uh, I should say Wisconsin did. Not uh, Luke Fickle, obviously, but the program went a little bit different this time when they went and tried to find a running backs coach. They went away from the offensive line. Little, little bit weird concept here, going away from an offensive lineman to coach the running backs, but that's what they did uh, with Devon Spalding. And uh, it's a guy who played running back in college. It's a guy who uh, certainly has that knowledge of being able to uh, play the position, coach the position. It, it all works. Yeah, I detect a hint of uh, sarcasm in, <laughs> in your commentary. Uh, I think I would say the last time we were having this conversation, we were debating whether this wait was so long because Luke Fickle was looking for somebody with NFL coaching experience. Um, obviously, that's not what happened. We were wrong, but I was wrong. It happens. But he found somebody that he's not only familiar with, but has had some success at the FCS level. And I suppose you could consider Spalding a rising star of sorts. I know that he had a lot of success there. And look, I don't know much about him beyond the credentials that everybody else has read, but like the rest of this coaching staff, I'm really eager to see how these puzzle pieces fit together when spring practice starts and obviously into fall camp. But you had to have it in place by about now because this is a week when not only is everyone back, but they're they're getting into off-season workouts and and there's obviously recruiting too. So people want to know who the position coaches are at key positions. And uh, look, it's a, it's a big job, obviously at Wisconsin and uh, we'll see what it looks like for the running backs and exactly what they're asked to do or what may be different with a new running backs coach. What do you think about uh, bringing up a guy who 
you know, obviously they have experience with him having been at Cincinnati, but what do you think bringing in a guy that hasn't been at a, at the power five level, first of all, is young and doesn't necessarily have the the same credentials recruiting wise, or even at the position that um, you would think would normally happen for a running backs coach at a place like Wisconsin, which has produced some of the better running backs in the country or seems to produce some of the better running backs in the country every year. It's interesting because I think a year ago when Paul Christ made some of his coaching decisions, um, I, you know, part of me wants to have this response be, well, Luke Fickle has earned the benefit of the doubt because of the success that he's had. Um, but I also think maybe you could have made that argument about Paul, but even at last year, it was a little bit head scratching some of the, the decisions that he made just because you were bringing in people who hadn't specifically coached at that position. I don't have a problem with it, obviously. I mean, if Luke Fickle, who has worked with him and knows him, feels comfortable in making this move, um, then that should make you feel pretty good. But he's got experience. He understands the position. Obviously, he's accelerated a little bit quicker than maybe you would have thought. But I think it's got a lot of good potential. And everything's going to be different about this season, about the offense, about what it looks like, about the expectations. But um, I know the running backs are excited and eager to see what they can do. And now they know who it is that's going to be coaching them. So ultimately, I, the short answer is I, I don't have a, any problem with it. <laughs> well, I I didn't I don't have a problem with either. I'm just saying it is not exactly like, you know, a, a home. I don't want to call it home run. It may be a home run hire. It's just there's a little bit of uncertainty there of exactly how good of a coach he is just because the track record isn't there long term. He did uh, have some very, very good players, uh, specifically uh, Jaleel McLaughlin uh, at Youngstown State who was uh, the Offensive Player of the Year in that conference, finalist for the Walt- Walter Payton Award, which is essentially the uh, Heisman Trophy for an offensive player uh, at that level. But we'll see. Again, it's um, it's an interesting hire, but it's it's one that at least he played the position, uh, which uh, I think is certainly an improvement over last year. That's not a ta- taking a shot at Al Johnson. Al Johnson is not going to turn down a job at the University of Wisconsin, so I don't blame him for it. Um, but... Probably shouldn't have been the running backs coach as, as we look back. Interested to see how it impacts recruiting. It is a younger guy. It's a guy that probably can relate to the uh, the players and relate to the guys that he's going to be coaching, considering he was in their positions not too far, uh, not too long ago. And I'm so I am interested to see how that plays out for him. Uh, you did write a story about a running back he's going to be coaching uh, that that uh, posted on Monday morning on the Athletic, and that is Braylon Allen. The rumors during this season about him transferring or potentially transferring to Michigan or whatever, what all that. And he denied everything and we have to take him at his word. So we will, but do you think he was legitimately thinking about doing it? And two, how big of a hire was Phil Longo to making him stick around? Well, to answer your first question, it's, it's hard to speculate on what's inside someone's head when it would be what they're not telling you. Again, we can only go on what he's talking about. I would also, part of me thinks, well, Yes, message board rumors are you have to take them with a grain of salt. And at the same time, part of me thinks it didn't come from completely out of nowhere. Um, I have to imagine this was given how frustrating the season was. He's a very talented player. He's got market value in the NIL uh, era. And you could argue maybe he's not as valuable anywhere else as he is Wisconsin as an in-state guy. But I'm sure it was a consideration. I'm sure that it had to at least have crossed his mind. But The Phil Longo and Luke Fickle hirings are huge um, when it comes to Braylon. I think, obviously, for about 
you know, he said after the Michigan rumor came out, he went on the radio and he said, as long as Jim Leonard is here, I'll be here. And when Leonard wasn't named the coach, there was a part of me that wondered, all right, so is Braylon gone now? Uh, but he liked what Luke Fickle had to say. I had a chance to talk to Braylon out at the media day at the Guaranteed Rate Bowl and actually had a, a chance to talk briefly with Luke Fickle about Braylon and, and what he sees and his vision. And the biggest thing is how much opportunity there is for Braylon this year and with obviously Spalding as the coach, but as the position coach, but more so with Phil Longo and what that means for the running backs, because the very first thing that he talked about, what excites him, he said, running into six man boxes. And it's the same thing Tanner Bordellini talked about after the bowl game in terms of what would be so exciting for offensive linemen, not having to deal with eight or nine guys, not having every lineman do his job. And then still one guy's coming in unblocked because they're sending the house and they knew what Wisconsin's going to do. And some of the numbers really back up, I think, what's possible for Wisconsin. Because if you remember after the Iowa game, Braylon was really, I mean, he we know he's his own harshest critic, but he was talking about how disappointed he was with his season, that he hadn't been as good as he wanted to be in any single area. And it's weird because he's run for 2,510 yards in his career. That's 16th in program history. He's fourth in program history in yards per carry, 6.03 for, for guys who run at least 300 times. The guys who are ahead of him are Melvin Gordon, Jonathan Taylor, and James White. And yet, sophomore season, despite the numbers, disappointing from what you, certainly from his perspective, his yards per carry average went down from 6.8 to 5.4. He ran for 26 fewer yards than he did as a freshman when he didn't even crack the playing rotation uh, until the fifth game. And he hasn't had a season yet where he's in the top 20 in a single season at Wisconsin in rushing yards. And obviously his idols, Melvin Gordon. And he said, you, you know what the guys before you have done. So he wants to match that. And I think he's going to have that opportunity under Longo because of the way that air raid passing attack makes defenses play a little bit more honest. And I mentioned some of these numbers, but like Wisconsin faced eight or more defenders in the box on 61.4% of its rushing attempts last season. The only schools that faced more eight plus defenders were the three service academies because they run the friggin' triple option. And North Carolina, on the other hand, very rarely faced that kind of situation. So I think it's going to be a great opportunity, not only for Braylon, but for Ches Malusi to have a chance to get big gains and not have to deal with so many defenders in the box. Only one other guy in the country faced eight plus defenders more than Braylon. It was a running back for air force. So I don't think, honestly, I don't know if there's a guy on the team who's more excited than Braylon about what this change in the offensive philosophy will be, because I think it's going to have a tremendous impact on him. And I do think that that fickle and Longo being here, um, they're they're very important reasons why Braylon is still here, even though he said that he he never really wanted to go anywhere. But this to me um, was sort of this the final stamp of okay, I, I I can get a fresh start without having to go anywhere. So there's Braylon Allen, there's Ches Malusi, and then what? Well, that's a big question. Obviously, I mean Julius Davis is still around and he's got experience in the program, but. I don't know the answer because, and that's, that's one of the spring practice questions that I would have and really fall camp too, um, is, is who else can emerge at that spot? Because that was one position that they didn't make a move in the portal. And Luke fickle even said when he was asked a couple of weeks into his tenure, whether he would look to address that he felt pretty comfortable with what they had, obviously on the top line, your top two, 
but you're going to need multiple guys in an offense like this. So you can help wear out defenses right now. I think I would put Julius third, but I think it's an open competition um, on some of the guys that, that could potentially get in there. I mean, Jackson Aker, the fullback is gone <laughs> as far as, as far as we know, no more fullback, or at least as we've noted at Wisconsin before. So I think he moves into a running back role. He's got some talent. Nate White won't be be here, obviously, for the spring, but um, another guy coming in on scholarship. So it's up in the air is what I would say. But if I had to pick right now, my money would be on Julius just because of the experience that he has. How hard is it to get a guy in the portal knowing that he would be third in line no matter what? I think that would be a challenge. I I mean, I I do. That's what's difficult, I think, in this situation. And yet, next year, there's a lot of carries available. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I mean, that's like, why again, we'll see. Well, I, I guess we'll see how many carriers are available. Nate White, but more specifically, uh, the, the 2024 class and the potential of yes. the guy we're going to talk about in a little bit with and Corey Smith and some of the other guys that they're after in that class. Maybe there won't be, but I feel like maybe next offseason is when you go in the portal and you get somebody, a guy who's going to have a shot to get some carries um, next year if they're unable to uh, do it this year. Like a young guy that's willing to come in and sit and then maybe have a big role or have a bigger role next year. It's really difficult to ask that of a guy. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. And I think what we've learned here in a few short weeks with Luke Fickle on the staff is that they are willing to just go out and hammer the recruiting trail and the transfer portal trail. And just because you think they may be done, they want to stack the talent at a position and let competition play out and may the best man win. And obviously at running back, it's not just one guy like it is at quarterback, but another part of that story that I didn't mention is Braylon's plan and Luke has talked about this too is that if Braylon has a good enough year this year that he's gone and um, I think that's at least refreshing candor um, that somebody is willing to say that uh, they want to be out of here in three years and I mean that's obviously everyone's dream but he also recognizes that he's got a lot that he needs to accomplish in order to put himself in that position Um, Jonathan Taylor had one of the greatest college careers we've ever seen by a running back and wasn't even a first round pick so um you know, I don't really know if the round will matter, but I think that's the expectation is that Braylon will have a, a good year. He'll be gone. Obviously, Chesma Lucy is gone. I, I think that this could be the type of year where Wisconsin would go after a couple running backs on the recruiting trail in 2024. But absolutely, you got a lot to sell when you've got opportunity at a place like Wisconsin at running back uh, when you're evaluating players potentially in the transfer portal. Yeah, you definitely do. Um, all right. So obviously the running back spot, but also um we got some news of guys coming and going. Uh, CJ gets going to be sticking around for a sixth year. I think people maybe overlook and myself included overlook some of his um, accomplishments or contributions Mm -hmm. this past season. He turned out, I mean, statistically, if you look at him, one of the more consistent contributors that Wisconsin had on defense this year. Yeah. I think he was finished third in tackles was in the top four and tackles for loss. If I'm not mistaken. Um, I think this is a, a big add for Wisconsin and I'm not surprised I expected this to happen um and I know we talked about our, our depth charts which were obsolete about two weeks later because of all this transfer portal action but I had CJ gets coming back and plugged him in as a starter and I, it obviously makes the outside linebacker group better and that's there's so many questions about what Wisconsin is going to look like and part of it is well what does that defense look like in a 335 but to have a guy like CJ gets really adds value to the group and you've got so now you've got CJ and you've got a host of talented players with Caden Johnson, TJ Bowlers, Daryl Peterson. I think that 
addition of Jeff Piotrowski could wind up being a, a big deal for Wisconsin down the road. We still don't know the health status of Aaron Witt, but there's a lot of talent there. And, and CJ is a veteran who's got starting experience. And I think it's a really good ad for Wisconsin and, and good for him to come back. You kind of talked about it there. I, I don't know exactly what that role looks like now though. Right. Exactly. That's part of it is like, okay, well, and I've, I've been wondering this too. And Mike Trestle obviously didn't give us <laughs> much because he doesn't want to reveal much and he's still having conversations. So we'll learn more in the spring. But so if you do run a three, three, five, uh, I mean, are you leaving two outside linebackers on the field and, and taking an inside guy off? Are you, do you like the two guys that you had at the inside and want them on the field more? And I mean, I, I don't know exactly what it looks like really, but it's not a bad thing to have someone with that much experience, uh, in the fold. It's not, I just don't know if I see him as a, yeah, I don't know. Like as a starter, you mean, in that style of defense? Yes. I don't, I don't know. Cause you're asked, I mean, it depends obviously strong side and weak side, how much you're asked to do certain things, but I guess, you know, we'll find out. It's been a while since, uh, there's been a school or a uh, defense in the state that didn't play the three, four. So or it's not even a school, but a team Packers been playing it since 2009. These guys been playing it since 2013. We'll, we'll see exactly what it looks like in spring. I just don't know exactly, exactly what his, his fit is there. Obviously he feels good about it to come back um, instead of transferring somewhere else to, to play outside linebacker in a three, four somewhere else, or, you know, whatever, a two, four, five or whatever, uh, uh, alignment Wisconsin used a majority of the time last year, which is obviously their sub package defense in the nickel. But yeah, I guess we'll see. We'll see. So he he is sticking. Uh, it, the uh, transportal closed last Wednesday. It appeared mm-hmm. all the guys that was that were going to enter it had entered it. Then we get word Thursday morning that Dean Ingram, uh, a, a day after he posted a video of him playing a ton of defense in a Badger uniform, potentially thinking about him switch back or we we assumed uh, potentially thinking about a switch back to defense where he was a very big contributor in 2021 to a really, really good defense as their slot as their uh, nickel corner next day tweets out that he has entered the portal and uh, has two years of eligibility remaining remaining and going elsewhere. The Dean Ingram experiment at wide receiver was, I don't want to be too harsh here, but um, a failure. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought obviously him at corner was going to be a, a great move back for him, but yeah, he's gone. And it we kind of talked about this. Uh, we texted about this when it, when it happened, you just think about that move and it didn't make a ton of sense at the moment, though. I will say that they didn't have a ton of experience at wide receiver. So I could, I guess I can kind of see it just because you didn't have any like known weapons outside of Chimray. All these other guys had played a little bit, but there was no true, true, you know, guy that could stand out and be like, yep, we know we can count on him and him and him. So I guess it, it kind of makes sense from that standpoint, but then you kind of take your defense down a little bit. Either way, Dinningham on his way out. Here's what I was texting you about for the the inside baseball is I I was thinking about what the and again hindsight is twenty twenty. The worst moves, the best and worst moves really that Wisconsin has made in trying to move guys to a different position from one that they were originally playing uh, with the Badgers. Um, and I I honestly think this might be at the top. And I, I mean, I agree at the time you had Chimray DK coming back, which as a junior to be the number one guy, everyone was pretty certain on that. I don't know whether you had very many answers after that. Skylar Bell had played in one game in the Las Vegas bowl. And it wasn't until spring practice that he emerged as a viable number two. Keontes Lewis had transferred from UCLA, but he hadn't even, I think he'd been targeted twice and didn't catch a single pass at UCLA. 
So he had a lot to prove and Marcus Allen did too. It's just sort of unfortunate that Wisconsin ended up taking its best nickel corner and putting him in a position where he wound up not being in the top three and therefore not earning a ton of reps. So he'll go down as that, that move was worth 13 catches and 152 yards. And I understand that Wisconsin, the other part of the equation, they had three transfer guys coming in at corner. Um, but and Cedric, and Cedric in retrospect, was fine, right? Yes, like Cedric he was. was fine. He was good. But again, you moved your top nickel corner over to offense to get 13 catches. Um, and this is sort of an offshoot of, of that, but I would put it at or near the top of, of the position switches that uh, were perhaps the most ill-advised during the last decade or so, or maybe you could <laughs> even go to the Paul Christ era. I also think that Jalen Franklin going from outside linebacker to tight end was one that, uh, man, he could have been a damn good outside linebacker. I know they had a lot of talent there, but just didn't see a lot <laughs> at tight end. So right. it's fun. It's fun to, uh, to revisit this. Uh, and I know let's that there's go, a few others. Let's go through some of them. Uh, okay. Cause I, I was one that I didn't, I hadn't even thought of that you brought up and that was Leon Jacobs mm-hmm. moving from outside linebacker to fullback for, I don't even know if it was a year. I, I don't think he may, I don't, I, I think it was just an off season, right? Like, I don't even know if it, he made it a, a year over there and then they moved him back and he was a huge, huge, huge part of that 2017 defense and ended up getting, going into the NFL. Yeah. He was outside linebacker in 2013. They moved him to inside linebacker for two seasons. He hurt his foot. So then he's at fullback in 2016. And then Chris Orr has that injury early in the regular season. So they move him back to the inside and then he goes back to outside linebacker because they needed to replace TJ Watt and Vince Beagle. Uh, yeah, fullback for Leon Jacobs. Uh, <laughs> sort of question that one in retrospect. Uh, at, on, on the opposite end of the spectrum, TJ Watt from tight end yes. to outside linebacker. An all-timer. Because, yeah, because of the knee injuries that he was dealing with. It was a, a great move by Paul Christ and whoever else had a role in that. Uh, it turned out to be a, a, an absolute insane decision and, and move to get him over there. He's turned into, obviously, uh, one of the better players in the NFL and potential Hall of Famer as an outside linebacker and at tight end, had he been able to stay healthy, I'll say this, had he been able to stay healthy, I think he could have been a really, really good tight end. Like I think he would have been a, a significant contributor for them with his athletic ability. And some of the things we saw in the very limited action before he got hurt every, uh, every camp that we got to see, but that was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's, that's at the top of the list, I think for, yes. for moves for sure. Yeah. I've got, I mean, I have a list of the, the best and the worst moves and let's, obviously let's do it. They, they deserve a lot of credit for some of these moves that they've made. Uh, no one knew this one was going to work out the way that it did, but Dare Ogunbowale was a defensive oh, yeah. back, was a walk-on. They move him to running back. That worked out pretty well. <laughs> do, do you remember why they moved him to running back? Uh, there was there were no running backs left. Just injury right. after injury after injury. <laughs> Taiwan Deal uh, gets hurt. He breaks his hand. So there were there were a lot of things uh, at play there, but the only reason like they even knew he could play running back, they would do the chase drills during practice. And he would be the scout team running back uh, or the, the guy that they would chase and they'd have to chase him and they couldn't catch him. The demons couldn't catch him. So they like that, that might work. And it worked perfectly. Obviously had a huge role in 2015 and 16 and turned that into an NFL career. That was a great move. Yep. That's, that's gotta be near the top. The TJ Watt is the all timer. <laughs> the guy yeah. becomes an all American and a first round pick in the NFL defensive player of the year is just ridiculous. So, but there, there's some other good ones too. Natrell Jamerson to me is a good one. Came in as yep. a wide receiver. Then he was a corner and then he was a safety and ends up becoming an NFL draft pick. Right. Uh, yep. 
that doesn't happen if he's a wide receiver at Wisconsin. Let's no. just be real. <laughs> so very physical, very hard hitting, uh, very impactful. Tanner McAvoy, you might have on both sides of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> but going from quarterback to safety, uh, a huge help and ended up at least having an NFL opportunity at safety again would not have had a wide receiver back. Actually played a wide yeah. receiver in the NFL. Did he? Yeah. Did he, he play safety receiver. at all? No. All right. But well, that just, tells you about his versatility. He led the team in interceptions, didn't he? His last year, didn't he lead Wisconsin in picks? I think he might have. I think he might have. Now, he played a little bit of offense as well. We got to see him in, a few times in 2015 on offense. And we even got to see him at quarterback. He got the uh, at the at the Holiday Bowl. Thought he was thought should have had a touchdown. Would have had a touchdown. They called him out. Um, but yeah, his uh, his you're right. A great move from him from going from quarterback to wide receiver and safety. The worst move ever, moving him from wide receiver safety back to quarterback in 2014. So <laughs> yeah, that's a story in and of itself. Uh, yeah. At, <laughs> As an aside, last week I did about the five weirdest seasons I've ever covered. Uh, someone had asked me a mailbag question because obviously this one, this last year was truly bizarre, and uh, it couldn't even it wasn't even number one because nothing in my mind will ever top the 2014 season of, of Gary Anderson and all the miscommunications and bizarre decisions that took place. Uh, so that that's an aside, but I guess yeah. thank you Tanner McAvoy for contributing to that weirdness, uh, even though it wasn't his fault. Alec Ingold is another one I think that was good. He came in as a linebacker, then he was a running back, then he was a fullback. And he's in the NFL. I mean, that that's a great move. So, Eric Watt, too. Yeah. I mean, they've been able to find fullbacks, which now they <laughs> won't, I guess. Uh, so those are some really good ones. I think there's a couple others that are worth mentioning. And, and you deserve credit for this one. Uh, this made me laugh out loud. The, uh, the <laughs> Bart Houston quarterback to punter, however brief it was, I question, I question that position switch. <laughs> you you forget about that in the craziness that was 2014. You forget about that sometimes as he was the, uh, it, it was like the rollout punter. It wasn't even just like the, the a straight punter. It was just like, we know he, he rolls out, he can punt and the ball will roll. Like he's the roll punter. Yeah. Do you remember uh, that at all? No, no. I do. Right. Uh, I remember uh, one of the attempts was very poor. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what I remember. What is going on here? Why yeah. what is <laughs> But, uh, and they didn't even yes. do like the fake. They never got a fake. Like, why do you have you have a quarterback playing punter? Why would you not try and fake it at some point? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, those are ones that come to mind. If you're listening, you may have some others on the on the uh, best and worst position changes. But again, it got me. The, the Dean Ingram move got me thinking. Um, I can understand, I suppose, at least in some capacity, why they did it. And and obviously, his dad was the offensive coordinator, and I imagine that was pretty neat just to have the opportunity to be coached by your dad for a year. But uh, that was in retrospect sort of strange that you took your best nickel corner out to get 13, 12 catches for the entire yeah. year. Yeah. I had, there were a couple more that, that don't stand out because I think they, well, I should say at least one of them doesn't stand out because they moved them back to a spot, but Garrett Dooley came in as a linebacker, wasn't was a, an outside linebacker. He wasn't big, like he wasn't big enough to play defensive end, but they moved him to defensive end. And uh, he couldn't have been like more than 240 or 245. And he tried putting on the weight. It just it didn't happen. They moved him back. And he was obviously a, a starter for them in 2017, a, I believe opposite Leon Jacobs. So mm -hmm. it was a good move, then a, a bad move, then a good move again. For They, for tried, C they tried CJ Getz on the defensive line. He was going yes, everywhere did. for a little bit. So yes, it worked out for him to put him back to outside linebacker. Yep. 
Uh, Sirs Trezzy. Remember Sirs Trezzy? Do you remember Sirs from the past? Dude was the fastest guy. What you know, four three type of guy, and uh, a junior college guy, running back, and then they, for whatever reason, um, maybe just couldn't play running back. I don't know. uh, Moved him to to defense. They moved the corner, and then I believe he played some safety too. It just never really worked out. But I do remember he came to the pro day and ran super fast, like just ridiculous fast, as you would expect, because that's essentially what what he was. Xander Neville played everywhere. Uh, he played linebacker, then they moved him to defensive line, and eventually to tight end, and then injuries obviously kind of ruined his his thing. But he, I think he could have been a pretty good defensive lineman if they would have left him there. Uh, but he was a good linebacker. He was a good tight end as well. Essentially, eh. He could do a little pass catching, but it was a lot of blocking for him. Caden Lyles. Yeah, that <laughs> one was a necessity. It, it was. It was. But, uh, hey, I guess you don't really have a choice. Uh, it wasn't great on the defensive line, but it – he filled in when needed, when Garrett Rand and Isaiah Lamarck were down and they had lost all those guys. So he was kind of a fill-in in 2018. 2018's defense was kind of like the the worst defense under Jim Leonard, you would say, probably, because they, they couldn't stop the run, and he was a big reason for it. But, yeah, there's there are a number of uh, poor ones, a lot of really, really good ones, though, too, that they uh, that they made work. I think what it does is helps you realize how difficult it can be to project what success will look like for certain players. And that's, I mean, that's obviously a big job responsibility of the coaching staff and part of what you have to do in recruiting at a high school too, is how many of these guys are the best player on their team as a quarterback because they're the best athletes. So you want the ball in their hands every time. Well, what's going to be the most successful for them in college. It doesn't always work out, but I think the staff generally deserves a lot of credit for making some of these moves and turning guys into Role from going from role players to, to big time starters. But obviously when you do that, it's, it's also sometimes not going to work out. And maybe those are a little more humorous to relive with the benefit of time. You mentioned the quarterback thing and it's been a few years, but it felt like every guy in their, their starting defense, at least in the yeah, linebacker court the was, was, was a quarterback in, in high school. TJ Watt was a quarterback. TJ Edwards was a quarterback. Uh, Ryan Connolly, who else? Uh, Brad Davison and Demetric Trice. <laughs> Brad Davison, Demetric Trice, right? David Edwards, uh, yeah. offensive offensive lineman. David Edwards. There were a ton of guys that that played quarterback in high school and ended up obviously playing different positions uh, in college. But you're right, Zach Bond. Sorry, that was the other one I was trying to think of. Zach Bond, Alec Ingle, both really really good runners in in high school as quarterbacks. I guess one of them could throw the ball. I think I think it was Bond that could throw the ball more than than Alec, but either way, uh yes. Some of those work, some of those don't. Um they've hit they've hit home runs on a lot of them though. And I, I you have to give them credit for that. All right, let's get into uh some of the Twitter questions that we've got. Everyone's favorite kicker, including ours, Vitaly Pasetsky asked, uh, how do you think the rest of the Big Ten views what's happening at Wisconsin? Just in your opinion, what do you how do you think the rest of you everyone else views what's happening with the Badgers right now? I think it's very difficult to ignore um, and not everyone is in the same type of position, obviously with a new staff and the momentum and excitement that's created. But I look at a program like Iowa and Iowa fans who are, are viewing this from the outside and thinking we've still got the same offensive coordinator whose team finished 123rd in the FBS and scoring offense last season. <laughs> so I, I think intrigue 
and maybe envy, but it goes back to, you got to go do it on the field. Um, but Wisconsin certainly has put itself in better position than it was two months ago to rise up the big 10 West after what's been a, a rough stretch, a rough three year stretch of not winning the division. I think there are people in other campuses, uh, really, really, I, I shouldn't say afraid, but concerned what exactly this might look like considering what Wisconsin has been for the last 30 years and the potential that it takes Wisconsin to another level offensively, if they're able to run the ball as well as they have the last 30 years combined with a a competent passing game and a number of quarterbacks and mobile quarterbacks that can, that can beat you with their legs, which just hasn't been the case at Wisconsin for a large stretch. uh, You would think it has to scare them. Now also, they also, uh, I mean, this is how everyone feels before they play a game. Right. For the most part, especially if you if you like the higher the home run higher, if you like like everyone loves Scott Frost doesn't guarantee. Now, let me just say this. Well, yes. Let me just say this. Luke Fickle, more success at Cincinnati than at, than he had at UCF, at least long, longer success. He had the one season at UCF where they went 12 and 0 or whatever they went in and won the national championship in their minds and the excitement around him and everything that was happening. And then you put it on the field and it's just no. That's not going to work. Now, I don't think I comparing the two is is very unfair to Luke Fickle because Luke Fickle uh, is clearly a more established head coach and a more established personality and a more uh, stable, I think, individual than Scott Frost was. So I'm not comparing the two, but everything looks good until you go on the field. But I think there is a little bit of a worry around the Big Ten West that it's not just the same old Wisconsin anymore, that uh, you're going to be they're going to pound you into submission with their ground game. That's just not what it's going to be anymore. And if they can uh, just maintain what they've been on defense, Wisconsin uh, maintain what they've been, it could be pretty scary. I think. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, again, it's really difficult to ignore the fact that Wisconsin's got a top 10 transfer portal hall coming in. Um, and the difference is they're bringing in talent at positions that generally Wisconsin has not had that at least not with the amount of depth that it would appear, uh, you know, was a very highly rated quarterback, but now you've got three, four star quarterbacks there. You've got two wide receivers that have the potential to be game changing receivers. Um, and that's where it raises some eyebrows, I think around the league. Yes. Um, but you're right about Iowa. I would be so pissed if I was Iowa yeah. fan. Because I Iowa and Wisconsin so are such similar programs in terms of how they operate, the styles that they've run, the types of players they recruit. <laughs> so to see to see your neighbor doing all these different things and generating this excitement, and yet here you are just mired in mediocrity isn't even a probably a, the right word for it because when you're 123rd, I mean, it just felt like it set football back uh, away. And I give them credit. They... I mean, hey, they were better than Wisconsin was this season. So, but I've got to look at that and be like, okay, that's exciting. But what do we have going over here in Iowa City? This is not not too thrilling. No, not what's not not whatsoever. I just again, we'll see. I mean, if he, it's only January twenty third. I guess they could still make a move at at offensive coordinator. Just say, why would Cade McNamara? Oh, I don't know. What, yeah, what, I don't, you should I, mention that. That's a big pickup for Iowa. It is, but like, why would you go there unless? something is going to change, right? They haven't had a ton of... You are the change. Yeah. All right. Well, good good luck with that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Look, I think they... There have been... There has been some success with with competent quarterbacks there. 
certainly, but it feels broken. Eh, we'll, we'll see. Um, There's one other thing I wanted to say about oh, Iowa. Sorry. Which I, I thought of this because our Iowa writer, Scott Docterman, wrote a story last week about the what the Hawkeyes had done on the transfer portal. And the very first comment on that story is, seeing what Wisconsin did in the transfer portal at QB, three four-stars and receiver, two four-stars, it kind of takes the shine off of what Iowa has done. I'm afraid we're going to fall behind unless we get rid of the Ferens boys. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Kirk Ferens is an icon and has been there since 99. But I, I thought that was sort of indicative of the Iowa fan base. I will use that single comment to represent all of Iowa and how they're feeling. <laughs> if you were to peruse message boards, which I know you would never do, there is a lot of that sentiment within the Iowa fan base. Uh, a lot of like... Look what they're doing. I wish we could do that type of thing. And at some point, you would think that they're going to have to. They can't continue to be the Iowa that they've been because your defense isn't always going to be as good as it was last year. And that defense was amazing and awesome. But it's not going to be that way every single year. You have to be able to have play some complimentary football. And that offense is not playing anything close to complimentary football. They have great special teams, great defense, and their offense was putrid. The fact that they won as many games as they did just speaks to the other aspects of their team. If they could just figure out something on offense, they'd be something to reckon with, but they just, they can't, they can't. Um, maybe it'll change with Cade McNamara. We'll see, but all right, moving on here. Uh, Big boss man says, can we say the last three years cost Paul Chris a chance at another power five head coaching job, generally apathy towards recruiting, et cetera. Have we seen the last of him as a head coach in college? This is a really interesting question. And obviously, I mean, Paul hasn't said anything since he got fired and wouldn't expect to hear much from him until or unless he gets another position somewhere. Um, but when I saw this question, I thought of a conversation that I had with one of Paul's former players. Uh, this was for I didn't end up using this stuff. Um, this was for the story that I wrote after he was fired about kind of what went wrong. But I I it's it has stuck with me for these last few months. Um and one of the things that this player said, and I'm, I'm giving him anonymity because I promised him anonymity when we spoke. So um, maybe that's not fair to Paul, but this was <laughs> this is somebody that uh, I trust and certainly had very close knowledge of working with him. But he was talking about some of the things that happened with Paul in recent years and, and maybe why Wisconsin was in the position that it was. And and he said he he felt like he doesn't want to, this is him. I'm quoting him. He doesn't want to get his hands dirty with the head coaching stuff of being the CEO. And and he said that he, he respects Paul a lot. Um, but he basically said he just wants to coach. Uh, he, he doesn't necessarily want to deal with all the recruiting and the media and the boosters and all that stuff. And this, and this former player said, I think he just wants to be Mike Riley so much like, but this, like Wisconsin was an Oregon state. And he said his, his destiny is to be an NFL offensive coordinator. So he can just coach and not have to deal with recruiting and all the other stuff. Now, I don't know whether that's going to come to fruition. Obviously this is just one former player speculating, but it, it, it has left me wondering these last few months about what the future would hold for Paul. Um, and if someone would be willing to have him be the OC or, or an assistant somewhere in the NFL, um, then you don't have to deal with some of the stuff that I think put Wisconsin in the position that, that they've been in the last few years. So I don't know whether he, I don't know what his motivation would be in terms of wanting to be a college head coach. I mean, we know he loves football. We know he loves drawing up plays. There's a lot of other stuff that comes with being responsible for an entire program. 
So I just, I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he ends up in the NFL where you don't have to deal with some of that. I would be shocked if he ever coaches in college again because of the things that you just mentioned. Whether he's a head coach or otherwise, he still has to deal with the recruiting. He still has to go on the road and recruit. Like that's what that's what being a, a coach in college is. You can't just sit at home, whether you're whether you're an offensive coordinator, whether you're the secondary coach, it doesn't really matter. You have a you have a role in recruiting. That's a part of it. So some are some guys are more heavily involved, but there's just that's it's part of it. And media is also part of it to a, a much lesser extent than it was when you're a head coach. And certainly dealing with boosters is a lot less when you're not the head coach. But if he coaches anywhere, it would be in the NFL. But even then, I don't I, I mean, I shouldn't say only in the NFL. High school, I could do I could see high school too. Just wanted to just wanted to coach. But I would be shocked if it's if it's in college again. Just way too many things going on in college right now and the, yeah. the whole environment in college right now that he just wouldn't want anything to do with. I I I really I feel that way as well. And I, 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 again, conversation, I've thought about it a lot because um, there were a lot of really, I felt salient points about, this is another thing this former player said that he compared what Paul was doing at Wisconsin. And again, I mean, I think at the time the hire was made, it was great for Wisconsin. Paul had tremendous success his first five years, but we've seen what the changing landscape of college football is in recent years. Um, and it's a lot different than what it was when you, you got into football. And, and this player was talking about how um, you can't run a program. And he was specifically talking about Wisconsin, like a mom and pop shop is how he described it, where you kind of keep, keep the people that you know around uh, you don't want to rock the boat. You, you can, where you win eight games and everyone's happy. Like Wisconsin had reached a point where that, that wasn't it. The expectation is more double digit wins, trying to get to the playoff, trying to win conference championships. And, um, and he just said that as a head coach, you, you can't do that anymore. And he felt like what Paul wants to do is just not deal with boosters, media, going to events, just sit there until midnight and draw plays. Um, and I think if he could find a, a job where he could do that, I think he can be great at it. Um, but yeah, all those reasons sort of lead me to believe that I just I don't know if that's what would be in the cards for the future. And I know we're sitting here, you and Isaac speculating because Paul's not talking about it. But that's just sort of my impression and, and having obviously you and I covered him since since he was hired way back when. I'll also say that the I, you know, just him coaching, if you take away everything else, the recruiting the boosters, everything else, and just say the coaching, his expertise was offense, right? Mm hmm. The offense wasn't good for the last three years. I mean, if you're if if that's the thing that you're going to hang your hat on, you better be darn good at it. And they weren't very good. So it, he may be a good coach uh, or an offensive coach, you know, somewhere else. And maybe it's just comes down to quarterback play. But he has obviously has to own that himself because he's the one that recruited him and coached him in Graham Mertz. But the offense just wasn't good enough. Like I, I there. It's tough for me to see the benefit of hiring Paul Chris as a coach right now. Like, I don't, mm. I personally don't see it. I know his players loved him. I get that. But I don't see the benefit on a number of different levels. Just because what he was supposed to be great at was not very good for much of his tenure as a head coach at Wisconsin. It's fascinating, really, I think, to see where, where he was and, and even where he ended up, obviously winning 72% of his games. But five years in, he's 52 and 16 been the coach of the year, been to three conference 
championship games and and now to be in a spot where you just wonder what what the future even would look like for him what he would want and what uh, opportunities would even be available I mean I think there certainly will be um he hasn't forgotten how to coach football but I do think obviously there's a lot that you have to adapt to and um maybe a different scheme in a different place would would yield better results I don't know I don't know but those are very valid points that you make about the last three years of the Paul Chris tenure and what it looked like on offense it just wasn't good enough ever I feel like he would have to reinvent himself a little bit Mm -hmm. that's fair but the next one says uh are any former Badgers still working in the football program it's for for a long time it was Badger after Badger after Badger so many Badgers uh coming back whether it was on the coaching staff or graduate assistant roles or offensive analyst roles uh, that was kind of what Paul Chris did. Speaking of uh, keeping people you know around and wanting them involved, there are not a ton left. Uh, the only two that I know of are Casey Robach, who is uh, mm-hmm. part of the recruiting department, and Mike Caputo, who is part of, uh, I believe, staying on as an analyst of some sort, kind of like he was last year. So those are the only two former Badgers that I know for sure. There might be more, but... Uh, Everyone that was here last year, like on the staff, whether it was in the strength staff, the coaching staff, as of right now, not coming back. Yep, those are the same two that I had listed. And I don't think it's – I. another part of this and questions that I've received is some concern about moving away from what has made Wisconsin successful for all these decades. And part of it is the former players. Um, I don't think what's happening is – the bad thing and i think to advance uh changes needed i mean what was the thing that that fickle talked about at the his first uh press conference it was something about he was talking about um change is inevitable growth is optional uh that's something you put on a, a magnet on a fridge i know but uh that's something that stuck with me too is like you know he he's doing things in a little bit different way but i i even if it's not what you're used to as a badgers fan um, it doesn't mean it's it's the wrong decision. And I think there's there's a lot of growth potential for for what they're doing. But that just means it's not going to include as many former Badgers because Luke Fickle isn't a former Badger. Um, I think as long as he maintains a lot of the program staples and advances it in other ways, this program has a chance to go really far. All right. Connor says, uh, who do you believe are some of the most important 2024 targets? Now, Wisconsin held their uh, junior day this weekend, they're going to have another big weekend coming up, I believe, this this upcoming weekend. But a ton of guys, including quarterback Mabry Mettower, uh, one of the commits in that class, but a host of other very important guys. Uh, just a few names to to, to list off. Uh, Donovan Harbor, the offensive lineman out of Catholic Memorial. His teammate, Corey Smith, the four-star running back. Um, also, obviously, at, at Catholic Memorial. Um, Rob Booker, a tight end out of Wanakee, was in town. Darian Dupree a running back mm-hmm. from uh, out of Illinois. Also there, Koi Parrish, uh, safety from Minnesota. So there there are a, there were a, a ton of guys in town, a ton of important players. For me personally, I would look at running back yes, uh, as it being the most uh, one of the most important spots that they look, because we talked about earlier in the show that we think some of those guys are going to be moving on. So I don't know how you feel about that, but that's kind of where uh, I would look. So like a guy like Dupree, a guy like, Corey Smith like Corey Smith is a I don't call him a must get but it's a very important get because he is an in-state guy and I know that has changed over the years but uh, in terms of you know putting a wall up and wanting those guys here and and guys are more 
willing now than ever to to go different places and and leave leave state more so in basketball than football. But keeping that type of talent in state very very important. So I I put him up there uh, near the top. Yeah, the other running back out there, which would be the big Kahuna in all of this, I think, is the Jordan Marshall out of Cincinnati. Yep. He's a four-star prospect. He's the number eight running back in the twenty-four-seven Sports Composite. He's got twenty-six offers. Um, you know, this is a little bit unique because that Luke Fickle and the staff have a relationship with him. He's, as I mentioned, this kid is from Cincinnati, but Ohio State is on him hard. He's got his pick of the litter. And I do think this could be a class where you want more than one running back. I look at it like you've got your in-state guys and your out-of-state guys. And because of the success Wisconsin has had in the state, you just kind of desperately want those guys, if you're a fan and and a coach in the program, to stick around uh, because they form the backbone of of what the program is. So obviously, if you could get Harbor and Smith, that'd be huge. Um, Another one that I'd be looking at is um nathan roy um he's from mcwanago and i think he's coming this this weekend and he's another four-star player so inside the state i think obviously harbor smith roy rob booker as you mentioned another big one and then you go outside the state and there's so much talent i i mean this 2024 class all the way around i think has a chance in the end to be a really good one for wisconsin they've just got to put in the work I mentioned Marshall. I think on the offensive line, Ben Roebuck is a that's a big six, seven offensive tackle from Ohio. And you mentioned Dupree. So, I mean, they had 15 plus guys for their first junior day. And part of this is a feeling out process. It's really early because these guys haven't had a chance to go in person with this new staff. But there's a ton of talent. And I mean, I think based on what we've seen the first two months, with fickle and crew, you know, they're going to go hard at these guys and and probably going to get their fair share. Um, But these guys are being pulled in a lot of different directions and understandably so because of the talent level. How important is the wide receiver position? Do you think in this class, considering what they did in the portal um, with some of the guys that they, they got in and now they have a a ton of guys, uh, but only, you know, only technically one wouldn't be back next year or couldn't be back next year. I guess Chimray could come back for another if he wanted to, but like there's only one senior in that group. Is it an important spot to add to? Because it, um, I, I feel like it is. I feel like you always want to add more athletes to that that room, especially with what they're doing on offense right now. But I, I don't know if it's as big a need as maybe it was entering uh, prior to the portal. Yeah, I think it goes back to just like quarterback. If you can get someone really talented who's going to elevate the group, you do it. Um, yeah. I'm sure they'll wind up with someone. But I don't know if you look at the wide receiver offers right now, if they're in – outstanding position with any of these uncommitted guys necessarily. Um, And there's certainly time for this new staff to build relationships, but it eases the pressure when you get a Bryson green and certainly someone like CJ Williams, who's coming in as a redshirt freshman. Um, And a lot of that room is, is still very young and and we haven't seen them. So I think they're in okay shape at wide receiver, but certainly if they can add value, they will. I think another important spot would be defensive line. Yeah, After- definitely. Well, I mean, the February signing period is coming up and the name that's still out there is Jamel Howard. And I, I don't know what's going to happen with that. I mean, previously committed to Wisconsin, he's been taking a lot of visits recently. He was at LSU and Ole Miss is in there now, obviously Michigan and Wisconsin, and he's going to make his decision during the February signing period. But even if they don't get him uh, or if they don't get him, certainly they've got to add more on, on the D line. Um, yeah, that that's the, probably the biggest, I think, area of need at this point. Um, even if you look at the 
what they wanted to achieve out of the transfer portal and early in recruiting, that's where they still need more. Yeah, I think between the defensive line, if you're counting edge rushers in there, I think they've got 14 offers out in the 2024 class. So it's clearly something that they think they need to add to as well. We'll see uh, if, if they're able to. You would think, again, I don't think they're going to have a tough time doing that, uh, adding players there, but it is, I think that'd be other, another spot that would be like, yeah, yes, after what they did, after what they were unable to do, I should say, in the uh, the recruiting class. And well, again, you're right, Jamel Howard, we'll see how that plays out, but I feel like defense line would be another one where they have to look and say, we need to add more bodies there. We got one more here, Jesse. What's the new baseline for a successful year in 2023? Nine wins, 10, 11. Is it disappointment if Wisconsin loses to anyone besides Ohio State? Does the Ohio State game need to be close the whole time? There's <laughs> a lot of questions in that one question. Um, it's weird because so much excitement has been generated with the roster turnover that I think it's almost instantly elevated expectations. Um, this is still a team that finished six and six and hasn't won the Big Ten West since 2019. But Seven I, six. well, Seven and six with the bowl, six and six regular season. Um, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like this is like, I don't want to say winning the big 10 West. Otherwise it's not a successful year, but this is the last year of this, this divisional format as we know it before everything changes with UCLA and USC entering. And I think with the playmakers they have on offense, if you can, keep the defense at a high standard. It, it just, it feels like that should be a real possibility. I don't know about Ohio state. I, I mean, yeah, if they can keep it close with the Buckeyes, obviously that'd be a heck of a lot better than what we've seen or what we saw the last time. Um, they've sort of been operating on another level, especially when it comes to Wisconsin, but I don't know. I nine, 10 wins. Um, it's hard to answer this question because I just have no idea what the team looks like specifically. Well, offense or defense really with the new scheme changes, but it feels like with the talent that should be possible. Look, 2023 was always going to be the year that people pointed to and be like, they could make another run uh, just talent based on talent. It was going to be a very upperclassman heavy roster. And it still is to an extent you were thinking you were going to have a, you're a four-year starter in Graham Mertz. He thought you were going to, you know, obviously Braylon, you're going to have the offensive line that you recruited so well over the last, what, five years. And all those guys are going to be juniors or seniors. You're going to have a defense that had a whole bunch of talent all over the place at outside linebacker and in the secondary and linebacker or inside linebacker. Like there was going to be, this was going to be the year that they're going to make another run, kind of like 2017. Like that, 2017 was always leading up to, or everything was leading up to 2017 when you had, so much talent all over the place. Um, that's kind of what 2023 was going to be. And I don't think it's changed at all. I think actually it's gone and gone up. So you say, would it be a disappointment not to win the Big Ten West and you're not sure? It would absolutely be a disappointment. Right now, just based on talent, based on what we think they could be to not win the Big Ten West would be a disappointment in my mind. Um, whether that means 9, 10, 11 wins, whatever it takes, you better be right there at the end because you look at the rest of the Big Ten West I'm not sure that you could be scared or should be scared of anyone. You should be right on the same level as absolutely everybody else, if not higher, uh, going into this year. May it Will it take a little bit to get to where they want to be? Perhaps. Perhaps. But Phil Longo hit the ground running in 2018 
uh, or I should say 2019 in North Carolina. I don't see why they wouldn't be able to be able to hit the ground running on offense here. And you have a lot of returning talent on defense that will have to transition a little bit, but I don't see why they wouldn't be able to, um, you know, make things work early considering we know what they Luke fickle is on defense and what Mike Trussell has done on defense. So yeah, I mean, I, I am not going to set expectations low, right? They're going to be extremely high and they should be based on what they have on this roster. So you're saying big 10 title game or bust. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Because it might be the last time you get an opportunity to go to that, that game. <laughs> Maybe for a bit, but then again, uh, this is why you brought Luke Fickle in for, for the changing landscape and what's possible in the future. Of course, of course. But this is the last best chance mm-hmm. to not have to worry about all those other things that come into play. Instead of feeling having to finish among the top two among 16 teams, you have to finish number one among seven teams. And those seven teams, while vastly improved over what Wisconsin faced in 2015 and 16 and 17 and 19, you know, when they were not 15, obviously, but 16, 17 and 19, when they went to the big 10 championship game, this is a little bit different. I get that, but no, no reason to set the, uh, the bar lower. They, they hired Luke fickle to win championships, Jesse, that uh, they, that's what he said. That's what Luke, uh, Chris McIntosh said. Why would we take and tell them to uh, try for anything less or expect anything less? I don't know how you feel, but that's kind of where uh, I'm at. That, that's all fair. I mean, it'd be a heck of a lot more interesting if they are the best championship game. Ah, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the baseline for success is. I understand why excitement is so high and deservedly so. Um, sure, why not? <laughs> all right, he's on board. We got him. All right, good. Sounds good. All right, uh, Jesse, thank you very much. We'll be back uh, next week and. Uh, Whatever happens, we'll talk about. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Zach. All right. There he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.